Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in to Stand Up For The Truth. We thank you for your prayers. There's spiritual warfare almost constantly whenever you're doing something or trying to do God's work and uh, you're in ministry. I know a lot of ministries around the country deal with the same thing, but just a good reminder for you to pray not only for your pastor and your church leaders, but for ministries you know, like ours, and um, that God's will would be done, that he would use us, that we would face that opposition as Nehemiah had to do when he was building the wall, rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. They had a weapon in one hand and a tool, whatever they were using to rebuild the wall and put the bricks in and, and uh, seal the wall, the holes in the wall in Jerusalem. They uh, were using each hand. Um, so we have to be diligent, and we have to continue to do God's work even in the face of criticism, opposition, attacks, whether that be spiritual or otherwise. There's just my encouragement for you this morning based on recent observations. So, as always, thanks also for sharing our podcast on social media. It's the only way it gets out there pretty much, or if you sign up for our uh, weekly Watchmen or our uh, feeds for the podcast. Lord, thank you for giving us another day. Um, Lord, please teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom Help us to cultivate an eternal perspective, Lord, and we, we need to be reminded sometimes just to get our eyes off the world and our eyes off of the news and current events and what's happening around us, good or bad, and really to focus on you, to seek first your kingdom and to set our hearts and minds on you. That takes discipline. That takes effort on our part. But you promise, Lord, in your word, you say those who draw near to you, you will draw near to them. So help us to do that, Lord. Help us even in our daily quiet times with you in your presence. Help us in those moments, Lord, to quiet our minds and just come before you and hear what you would speak through your word. And help us to be better prayers, prayers, people that pray, and uh, myself um, I'm asking for me for discipline, Lord, and I know a lot of people feel that way with all the distractions and all the things that are going on um, around us. We can be so easily drawn away emotionally or agitated or um, distracted, so help us with that, Lord. We know that you understand exactly what's going on. We know you understand the human condition and our struggles, and we pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to speak the truth in love one day at a time, Help us to strive for unity, but not uniformity. We will not conform to this world. We will bow down to no one or no thing except for the Lord Jesus Christ before his cross. And we thank you for the hope of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to share a verse with you that's in front of my face this morning on my laptop. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. And the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Um, I just shared some verses this morning on my Facebook pages from John chapter 5. My goodness. <laughs> Jesus' equality with God. Um, if for those who say, I mean, just in this chapter alone, let alone in other places in Scripture, in John 5, for example, if someone says Jesus never claimed to be God, um, that just proves to me they have never read the Bible or they have never really taken the time to look at the context and what he's saying in these verses. So go to just, just John 5 and uh, understand who we serve. We serve Jesus, a living God. He is the only true God, and that's where our allegiance lies. We will probably talk a little bit about that today. Um, we, God willing, will connect with today's guest 
Alex McFarland. He hasn't been on for a few years, but we're so thankful. He's a Christian apologist, author of many books. He's an evangelist, religion, and culture analyst. Alex is the only evangelist to have preached in all 50 states in only 50 days on his crusade called Tour of Truth. He was the third president of Southern Evangelical Seminary and College located in Charlotte, North Carolina. He served as Focus on the Family's first director of teen apologetics and is the director of apologetics at Christian Worldview at North Greenville University. And he has a passion for encouraging Christians to be able to defend their faith, be able to stand strong in the face of diminishing morals, ethics, and values in this country. And he pioneered Truth for a New Generation. It's uh, conferences he started in the 1990s designed to equip teens and adults to know what they believe and defend their faith. And their conferences, by the way, have featured respected speakers like Ravi Zacharias, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, Eric Metaxas, Todd Starnes, Johnny Erickson Tata, and many others. Dr. McFarland, thank you so much for coming back on Stand Up for the Truth. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I apologize for being a few minutes late. I was on an interview that ran long and uh, a <laughs> lot, lot of things in the news, but I'm very honored to be on. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you for uh, working us in this morning. And we had an opportunity in these first couple minutes of the podcast to share some scriptures on uh, the narrow way and the broad road that uh, the narrow way that leads to life, the broad road that leads to destruction. We talked about uh, Jesus, uh, the deity of Christ, him there's no no surprise, no mystery that he claimed to be God and to be one with God. I and the Father are one, he said. So we're starting out with some facts, some basic truths on Scripture, because some people, as you know from recent surveys, Alex, um, they are questioning, Christians, I mean, they are questioning the deity of Jesus. Did he sin while he was on the earth? Um, so many other things that should be essentials. And I want to bring up an article. This is one of the things I wanted to talk about today, in addition to um, what we're going to get to, how can we as a divided culture find unity? And you've got a great article, 10 Signs. We may be near the end of history. But this particular topic on people that say they're Christians, and maybe they are, maybe they're not, that's not for us to know, but years after maybe walking or trying to be a, a Christian, they fall away. Particularly, your name came up in an article on the Christian singer and entertainer um, from Hawk Nelson. I'm looking for his name now. It's John Steingard. That's it. That's it. John Steingard. Um, so you were quoted in the article. Todd Friel was quoted in the article. And I want to just get your thoughts, and then I'll, of course, quote you and share Todd Friel's thoughts on the lack of maybe foundation on not only the essentials, but just on the, the, the truth of Jesus Christ as a Christian, we should be able to defend and understand. And so I, it's, it's a great title. It says it's a lesson on feel-good sermons and shallow theology. And Alex, we've seen so much of that. I heard so much of that around the country today. And I know people want to draw in um, others who are not Christian, but I don't think watering down the gospel has worked well. Your thoughts, please. Well, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, and, and I'm listening to you kind of set this up and just in my mind uh, saying, amen, amen. I really I really resonate with everything you're saying. That, um, you know, uh, Christian Christianity is something that touches our emotions and our feelings, but Christianity is also rooted in historical fact, objective fact. Uh, there, there really was a man named Jesus, born of a virgin, did miracles, crucified, and rose from the dead. But in, in American Christianity over the last, you know, say, 25 to 40 years, and, uh, I, you know, I became a Christian when I was in college 30 years ago, and it was interesting. Um, a lot of my friends in college, I was trying to witness to them and share the gospel with them. And they were asking me questions, you know, like, how do you believe the Bible? It's just this old book. So when I was just like three days into my Christian faith, I went to a bookstore. I'd never been to a Christian bookstore to buy anything. But I discovered books by Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And I began to read and it was so wild. I, I'd been a Christian, I mean, literally like 96 hours. 
And I go home one day after work and after class, and I, I stayed up till like three in the morning reading evidence that demands a verdict that talks about the preservation of the biblical manuscripts, mm-hmm. the history of Jesus. My point being this, for many people like John Steingard and, and so many of, that have been, you know, like the Hillsong music uh, culture, mm-hmm. Christianity is just about feeling and emotion. And, yep. and it, it is partly that. But look, when things come along like the hard things of life, and the problem of pain and suffering, and it's a broken world of sin and violence and heartbreak and tears, we need more than just emotion. We need to understand that the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is eternal, infallible, inerrant. Jesus is God incarnate. And so I think part of the reason some people fall away, and some people are, quote, spiritual but not really disciples of Jesus, it's because the Christianity we've offered the world in America over the last 30 years has been less about truth and more about feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up the fact that one of his struggles, um, John Steingart, um, entertainer and singer-songwriter with a Christian band, um, he was struggling with the fact that uh, why would an all-loving God allow evil in the world? I mean, the, the, <laughs> there have been explanations for this, studies on this, deep research, and this has been discussed for thousands of years by religious leaders, deep thinkers, and it's astounding to me. We all struggle with evil in this world, but doesn't it come down—I don't want to be too simplistic here, Alex—doesn't it come down to our trust in God's ultimate goodness and His sovereignty? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me give an illustration. Um, because, you know, people like John Steingard, they look at the world, and, uh, hey, the world, there's great blessings in the world. There's the beauty of a sunset. There's the grandeur of mountains and the Grand Canyon. But then there's terrorism and violence, and there's starvation, and there's cancer, and there's child abuse, and there's bad stuff in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, we could look at the world and say, okay, humans, humans are capable of great good but humans are also capable of great evil. Um, maybe, maybe the world is just broken, and there's a problem called sin. And maybe all of this badness illustrates how much we need a Savior. Mm. You know. Now, imagine this. Let's say you're walking through the woods, and you come to a house, and it's an old, broken-down, abandoned house, and the, the glass windows are shattered, and the roof is leaking and about to fall in, and the, the floorboards are so rotted away, you, you might fall through the floor. Now, you look at this broken house, and you say, okay, uh, I do not believe there was an architect or a builder. This house is so broken, there obviously was no designer or no contractor. Mm, yeah, good point. Or you look at the house and say, gee whiz, this house needs to be restored. It's broken. And... So the, the pain and suffering in the world it does not indicate that there's no God. It, it indicates that we have a moral, spiritual issue called sin, and we need a Savior. Mm. And, and let me say this, by the way. It's funny. Uh, my wife is a nurse, and she's gone on medical mission trips to the Sudan. And she, my, my wife, I'm so proud of my wife, she has given medicine and the gospel mm. to AIDS patients in the Sudan and starving children in developing nations, and so have I. And I've been all around the world to, uh, you know, outside the first world countries. Now, here's my point. You don't find atheists in Zambia. You don't find atheists in South America or the Sudan. Where do you find atheists? In posh pampered America and Europe. And my point is this. When I was working for Focus on the Family, we were doing our youth apologetics conferences. Um, We did a couple of events in California with Hawk Nelson, and we we used a lot of bands. And John Steingard is a guy that, since his late teens, has been worshipped like a rock star. He's a guy that gets 
you know, $20,000 for a half hour set, probably more than that now. Hmm. And, and it's very easy and convenient once you've made your millions off of the church wow. to suddenly look up one day and say, oh, gee whiz, the world is bad. There must not be a God. Uh, I would say to a John Steingard and, you know, pampered first world country skeptics, um, let, let me take you where there are real Christians that actually surely they really suffer for their faith in Jesus, and yet they still praise God, and they realize that this world is broken, but God is sovereign, and Christ is coming back. And, you know, I guess I would say uh, to a Hawk Nelson, I would say, wow, it was, it, it, it was real money that you made from this non-existent God. Hmm. Uh, if, if Christianity is fake and false, uh, give all the money back that ministries like Spirit West Coast paid you to play. Um, atheism and just to pontificate from an ivory tower, you know, life stinks, therefore, God, you're not real to me anymore. That's, that's, that's a first world problem. You don't really find it in developing nations. That's a, that's a fantastic point. And uh, by the way, we're talking to, with Dr. Alex McFarland, religion and culture expert, author, uh, college professor, international speaker. And by the way, when I said author, you had a book that came out early uh, this year, or last year, actually, Moral Decay. And uh, that, that oh, is well, your— It's is not that, actually out yet. Oh, it's not? Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Um, so it's coming out. Tell us about it. Well, therein lies a tale. Uh, <laughs> Does it have anything I, I, to do with the I, coronavirus? Uh, well, no, not exactly. Um, our country was built on a lot of things, but one of the core convictions of the builders of America was what Jefferson calls self-evident truth. Um, now, you can call it morals, you can call it uh, objective truth, but Romans 1 and 2 says that it's written on the heart of all people, the law of God, that the Bible says, when the Gentiles who did not have the law by nature innately did the things prescribed by the law, it, it proves that the law of God is written on our heart. And so I wrote this book, spent two years writing a book on what we call natural law. George Washington and James Madison and Benjamin Franklin very often used the, the phrase natural law. Yes. Now, natural law is this intuitive knowledge we all have that's almost identical, well, it is identical to the Ten Commandments of Exodus 20. And C.S. Lewis wrote about this in 1943 in his book, The Abolition of Man. Uh, in the 90s, a very brilliant scholar named Jay Bujaszewski wrote a book on this, called What You Can't Not Know. Now, hang with me, because <laughs> I'm going to say something in a minute that's going to blow your mind. But <laughs> basically, look, we, we all know that lying is wrong, stealing is wrong, murder is wrong, uh, you know, slandering and bearing false witness against somebody is wrong. And so we've got this moral code that is written on our psyche, and... We don't always do what's right, but deep in our heart, we know what's right. And in the book, I cite, like, the Nuremberg trial. The, the Nazi war criminals tried to defend their actions by saying, well, we, we passed a law. And in room 600 at Nuremberg, uh, they said, well, there's a higher law, and, and you really didn't know it. And the Nazi war criminals were really prosecuted with an appeal to natural law or moral knowledge that we all do have. And Dr. King, I quote everybody from literally Bill Clinton, JFK, Robert F. Kennedy, LBJ, Chief Justice Earl Warren, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, C.S. Lewis, Aquinas, Augustine, Jesus, Moses, and Abraham himself, that Aristotle also, that they say, look, there is moral knowledge, and we know right from wrong. Now, hang with me. <laughs> Whenever I speak at a university, and I'll, I'll push back against transgenderism or abortion or gay marriage, 
And I do this by appealing not only to the great figures of history, but natural law. They'll say, ah, the First Amendment prohibits the imposition of religion. So if you talk about morality, you're violating the First Amendment non-establishment clause about religion. So in my book, I said, well, wait a minute. No, religion and morality are two different things. Um, You want to be any religion? Go for it. Do whatever you want. You want to not be religious, be an atheist. Fair enough. But what we really can't allow anybody to do, and if we do, it endangers our Constitution, the, the freedom of religion clause should not be construed to mean the abolition of morality. Yes. And that's where we are. Yes. And and look at the, the George Floyd protest in Antifa. I mean, their whole slash and burn actions against our cities is a lawless, non-moral culture. Mm. Anyway, I write this book. It's supposed to come out May 1st of 2020. I've been working with uh, a publish, a major Christian publisher. I guarantee every one of your listeners will know this publisher. And the publisher in June of 2018 says, oh, my goodness, this is great. Write this book. And all through the writing of the book, they're like, well, could you put something in there to help husbands and wives communicate better? Hmm. I'm like, uh, well, that's not what this book is about. Yeah. <laughs> well, could could you put something in there about how to succeed and how to be more efficient in your time management? I'm like, uh, that's not what this is about. And so March 1st of this year, and, and we've, we've already done press kits. Our ministry spent about 30000 on marketing. Wow. The publisher says, we're not going to release a book on morality because it's just not relevant. Oh, my goodness. Did they use that word, relevant? <laughs> yeah, just not relevant. Oh, my goodness. Oh, now, now, let me explain something. In the last 20 years, I've written 17 books. And, and every, and I mean, look, the, the major Christian publishers, I've written for all of them. And part of the reason that the church right now is largely irrelevant, hmm. and 99% of the Christian books published, are not worth the time it would take you to read them. It's because rather than proclaiming truth, we've become all about self-improvement, self-esteem, and basically publishers and preachers have become B-grade motivational speakers. Yes. And do you know what? One of the, one of the leaders of Thomas Nelson, his name is Jeff Rustemeyer, a godly man, I asked him a couple of years ago, I said, hey, could C.S. Lewis get a book deal today? <laughs> he said, no. Absolutely, yeah. I understand that. Hey, Alex, we've got to take a break, um, but when we come back, we're going to talk about a little bit more about true, dis- true discipleship compared to uh, drawing people in using entertainment or whatever. And then we're also going to answer the question, how can we, as a divided culture, even a divided church, how can we find unity, not uniformity, but unity. More with Dr. Alex McFarland when we come back. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We've got Alex McFarland with us today and uh, so excited to talk about apologetics, about the foundations of our faith and the importance of uh, doctrine, sound doctrine, and discipleship. And so, Alex, I want to go back to something we kind of began this conversation about, and that is some Christians who have turned away from the faith. Um, now, the the debate is really kind of not up to us whether they were truly converted or not. However, I'm sure we both have thoughts on that. But you say in this article, uh, it's in A Lesson on Feel-Good Sermons, uh, you lay much of the blame on less-than-rigorous discipleship in youth ministries, and I've heard incredibly awful stories about some youth pastors occupying the kids' minds, just entertaining them rather than teaching them from God's Word, and I would love to hear your insight on how we can be better at true discipleship. Wow, great question. You know, I I love youth ministry. I was in it full-time for 11 years, and I, I have a lot of great friends that are youth pastors, but 
I was speaking at a, a youth pastors conference out in Colorado, and and I said, you know, define a successful youth weekend or a successful youth event. And one youth pastor said, uh, I return with the same number of kids I left with, and nobody has a concussion. And kind of everybody wow. And I said, yeah, I know, but we've got to raise the bar higher than that. Um, in, in, the, in the 90s when I was, you know, not only leading youth conferences, but I was attending a lot of youth conferences, some of the national youth ministry conferences, they would have themes like this, quote, it's a sin to bore a kid, end of quote. And oh my goodness. the quest to rock them and roll them and excite them and never bore a kid, I mean, it just really led youth ministry into some embarrassingly pedantic juvenile things mm-hmm. of, you know, super soakers and, you know, shaving heads and, you know, shaving cream and all that stuff. Uh, look, the discipleship is, is like work. I mean, it's a joyful work. It's like working out and hitting the gym, you know, um, if you want a six-pack ab, you got to do some crunches. Well, if if you want to have control over your mercurial emotions, you're going to have to begin to renew your mind, like Romans 12 says, feeding on the Word of Christ. If you want to be able to mortify the flesh and overcome temptation, you're going to have to pray and seek after the Spirit of God and and yield yourself. First Corinthians six nineteen and 20, Paul said, you know, we are not our own. We're bought with a price. And part of the reason that uh, American Christians are comfortable with carnality, and they fall away the first time life gets hard, it, it's, it's because we are living like we are the owners, when in reality we are owned. We're not owners, we're stewards, we're managers. Time, talent, treasure, testimony. And um, in the quest to be liked and never bore a kid, Mm -hmm. I mean, we haven't really given people the truth about the gospel. Salvation is a free gift, but everything post-salvation, I belong to Jesus and he is my master and I am his follower. We've not really said that. Hmm. And we haven't gotten down to the essentials of the faith and reinforcing those foundations. And we find out the studies of now, uh, they used to be in the 80s, early 90s, that after one year of college, Christian youth will fall away from the faith, or a large percentage of them do. And now they're starting to doubt their faith in middle school from some of the recent um, surveys and, and research that's been done, not fall away from the faith necessarily, but they're starting to doubt their faith. Why? Because their foundations maybe weren't as sound as they could have been or should have been, and that's up to mom and dad. That's not up to the public schools, and it's not up to the youth pastor. Um, Alex, uh, let's. I need to jump ahead because of time here. Um, we were you know, discussing briefly before we got on air Um, churches have willingly closed their doors during COVID-19, and now we're kind of thinking, well, wait a minute, now are churches being discriminated against? Because grocery stores have been open, abortion clinics have been open, um, other stores, Menards, Home Depot, other businesses, marijuana businesses have been open, and now there's all these protests. Let's not jump to the riots yet. If we have time, I'd love your take on that. It's just lawlessness and godlessness. But what's happening now is churches are being limited in how many people can attend a service or can be in the building when we've got crowds of people. I'm referring to mainly the peaceful protests or even, you know, even the the gatherings across the country uh, about racism. And there's something that just doesn't add up. And I would love to share your thoughts on that because I know a lot of Christians are upset about this. We feel like there's a double standard. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a horrible double standard going on where, uh, you know, things like abortion clinics are viewed as essential <laughs> businesses, yes. but yet churches have to be monitored. You know, I was doing a, a web stream. This was in early May, but I was at a church. I was doing a webcast, and there were only nine people in the building because the law was going to have more than ten. And we came out, and there was a cop car in the parking lot 
watching to see how many people came out of the church. Wow. So uh, let me just say this. Pastors and Christians are going to have to get a little bit of courage and conviction. And uh, for the, the Democrats, because look, all of this uh, move to squelch the church has been led by the Democrat governors. In my home state of North Carolina, Governor Cooper, Roy Cooper, who, uh, you know, uh, he's been very oppressive against Christianity and against the church. I think about in Michigan, Gretchen Whitman, when she was, you know, oppressively like a tyrant, daring the church to meet. Her husband's going to the marina trying to take their boat out, and she's going to the beauty shop to get her hair done. And see, <laughs> for, for any of you that are enamored with socialism, this is what it's like. The elites live by one set of rules while they oppress the peasants to obey another set of, of intrusive rules. That's right. So we, the 100 million adult Christians, I was on a phone call with George Barna about a year ago, how many adults older than 30 are Christian in America? Maybe 100 million adults are Christians. Well, we're just going to have to engage in civil disobedience and and remember that, yes, we, we are to obey the law, Romans 13. We're not to be insurrectionists. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when it comes down to forbidding us to worship God, uh, no, we will. We will. Hebrews 10.25, we will assemble together. And uh, we're going to see... Unless our culture has a great revival, we're going to see who's willing to take up their cross and die daily, like Paul said. We know there is an incredible open push for globalism and um, against America, against the United States, uh, against Israel, but particularly what we're struggling with here, and it's been increasing these attacks, and now with COVID-19 and the restrictions and the fear that some people have, and I mean Christians, some Christians can, are being fearful about this, and now we've got civil unrest, we've got you know protests and rioting in the street, and not only that, Alex, the, the thing that is almost most astounding to me is we've got people condoning it and justifying it. There was a Civil War memorial in, I think it was the Boston Commons, and it was put up, let's see, the, the, it was put up for black soldiers who bravely attacked Confederate soldiers at uh, Fort Wanger. And this is just astounding to me that this war monument, the Shah Memorial, was vandalized by apparently Black Lives Matter. And it was honoring an all-black regiment of Union Civil War soldiers. You've got this stuff going on that has nothing to do with the race, the injustices by the police, you know, the few police that were the, the bad characters in this. And I would love for you to just t- share some insight and give us some sanity and how we can approach this, because some are kind of going, well, they're just blowing off steam. All these years they've been... And this is just a nonsensical argument because of their reactions now. Well, there, there's an overthrow of the U.S. government that's being attempted. Mm-hmm. And there have been ads on Craigslist documented that uh, Antifa protesters being paid, uh, one ad showed them being paid $25 an hour to mm-hmm. come to uh, downtown, I believe it was Sacramento, to protest and vandalize. Mm-hmm. And it said, look, um, not only will we pay you to join this protest, but uh, if you get arrested, incarcerated, we will give legal help to help you deal with that. And so there is big money, globalist money working to here. They want disorder, including irrational things like Black Lives Matter damaging memorials to black Americans. Um, and I've seen a number of examples of that. Here's the thing, and I'm just going to say this, and uh, yes, I'm an ordained minister, I'm a pastor of a church, I'm a leader of a ministry, but I'm going to say this. Uh, If you love America, you must work to get Donald Trump reelected, because Joe Biden and and the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, the Democrat leaders, uh, they are all in the, the hip pocket 
of the globalists mm-hmm. like George Soros. Yes. And let me say, if there's one thing Nancy Pelosi hates worse than Donald Trump, it's this, the U.S. Constitution. Mm. And so even if you're not a Christian, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're just a, a complete secularist, fair enough. If you care about our liberties and freedoms, Donald Trump must get reelected. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is probably the next seat that's going to become vacant on the U.S. Supreme Court. And we know that you know she's holding on and people are going to hold on to her until the election because if she were to uh, recuse herself from the court right now, you know, Trump would get to replace her. And I know they're holding out with fingers crossed, hoping Trump will be defeated. So, you know, um, socialist globalists like Biden can appoint the next Supreme Court justices. Uh, and and the, really, the, the country hangs in the balance. And, and I would say this regarding our constitutionally protected freedoms, our First Amendment rights. Look, even if you're not a Christian, you benefit from the Constitution and the Bill of Rights as written. Mm-hmm. The, um, the Constitution and Bill of Rights, it's like gravity. Uh, you benefit from gravity even if you don't know about it or don't understand it. Well, you benefit from the constitutionally protected freedoms, the natural rights enumerated by the the Bill of Rights, even if you're not a Christian. And so um, I I would be very despondent. I'm not. I'm excited. I'm happy. But uh, the the reason I believe God has maybe not completely written off this prodigal nation, (laughs) we abort babies, we redefine marriage, we're a very carnal, sinful nation. That's right. the, The only hope I have that God has not written Ichabod over America is that Trump is still president. Um, the the outcome of the, the November election will absolutely irrevocably determine the future. Pence said this one year ago, and I mean, I've met, I've met Trump, Trump, met Pence, uh, know some of the people in the cabinet. Christian friends, believe me, it is a godsend the leadership that we have right now, and it must be preserved. But here's the thing. Pence said the next election is not so much a contest between two candidates, but a decision between two different futures. Mm -hmm. Two different worldviews, two different futures, yes. Hey, Alex, for those of our listeners who are probably in our um, listenership is probably minimal, but there are a lot of Christians out there that, that say, oh, now you brought politics into it. Um, Absolutely. Dinesh D'Souza said this in a recent interview. Antifa has melded its Marxism with identity politics, such as racial or gender grievance, and this has produced a kind of identity socialism. He said this, and I want to get your thoughts. They need, the left, a paramilitary because the socialist ideas that they believe in cannot win on their own merits. And I know you agree with that sentiment. Oh, yeah. See, uh, that, that's the thing like, whenever I speak at a university, and I will quote— They let you? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's a lot of fun. I want to encourage people to uh, consider running for office, consider becoming a speaker, speaking at universities. But I'll, I'll be on panel discussions, and you know, I, I can not only truth, morality, gender— natural, true marriage, uh, the sanctity of life. I mean, I defend what the founders would have believed, um, even without opening the Bible. Now, regarding gender and, um, you know, male-female and heterosexual monogamy, I can defend these things quoting scientists, mental health professionals, secular sources. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was at the University of Kentucky Medical School at Louisville about a year and a half ago, and we were talking about transgenderism. And I was quote I did not quote any Christian sources. I was quoting scientists, psychologists, uh, neurosurgeons, and I was speaking against gender reassignment surgery and transgenderism. Well, students were giving me the middle finger 
from the these are medical students. Wow. And, and I said, look, I, I understand uh, you don't like what you're hearing, but giving me the middle finger, that's not an argument. <laughs> and to Dinesh D'Souza's point, um, the, the Antifa and the social architects and the revisionist history people, they know they don't have any substantive argument. Mm-hmm. So all they can do is smash windows, loot, and they create disorder right. to try to impose new order. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, um, you know, in World War II, uh, thank God for Churchill and thank God for FDR and Eisenhower and uh, General Patton. There were people of conviction, patience, resolve. Um, we, we must, so that uh, Christian, the Christian West doesn't die and fall uh, we, we are going to have to have people of prayer, people of patience, conviction, but we're going to have to uh, turn our hearts to God and then put our hands to the plow and patiently um, stand for truth and influence others. Because, you know, Christ is going to return one day. We know Christ is coming back. Uh, but if if we further descend into lawlessness and anarchy and have no moral compass, um, then our nation and our grandkids and their kids will live in, in a type of bondage and darkness. Uh, we might enter centuries of dark ages. We don't know. But we'll, the, the saddest thing of all is not the loss of a free, safe, and prosperous America. I mean, that's sad. Mm-hmm. Waste is bad. Yeah. The loss of a free, safe, prosperous America would be a bad thing. But what hangs in the balance are the souls of people and the Great Commission. Amen. And America has been, for all of our failures and foibles, we have been the great underwriter of world evangelization. That's why the spiritual battle. The, Satan wants America to die because America is the engine that fuels the Great Commission. And so uh, what hangs in the balance are a lot of lot of important things, not the least of which is the salvation of our kids and grandkids. Mm. So we, we must pray, we must stand strong, Amen. we must speak truth, and we must uh, care enough to live a very intentional life. That's excellent. Excellent advice. Alex McFarland, we didn't get a chance to get to your article, 10 Signs We May Be Near the End of History. We will put that in the podcast notes at standupforthetruth.com. But I do want to ask you, could you clarify, what do you, when do you anticipate or do you anticipate your book, Moral Decay? Um, is that going to be coming out in the near future? Are you looking oh, for another publisher? Yes, we're in talks right now with, with a new publisher. Okay. Uh, because, you know, the funny thing, it, it's wild. Um, this particular publisher, and listen, you know, God is sovereign, and I, I don't mean to, you know, I, I'm not sour grapes, and I don't want to just, <laughs> you're, just this. you're telling the truth, though, you know? I'm telling the truth, <laughs> because, you know, so many publishers right now, they really don't have a lot of courage. I mean, mm-hmm. if you lay the cards on the table, they want you to water it down, water it down, and uh, that, that's why, you know, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis as written, could not get a book contract today. <laughs> I mean, That's so right. uh, um, this book, uh, it's funny, uh, three months ago, the publisher says, a book on morals, a book on absolute truth, that's just not relevant. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, okay, so you've, I've spent two years writing what I think is my most important book ever, and it's not relevant. In a culture struggling with Sorry. moral relativism. Yeah, Sorry for the background noise, but listen to this. Um, You are the 53rd interview that I've done on this book in the last month. It's so funny. And I, uh, just to kind of yank their chain a little bit, I (laughs) interviewed, I I sent an email to the publisher last night. The head of this company, this is a multi, 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 multi million dollar Christian publishing Mm -hmm. company. And I said, look, my my not relevant book on morals. I'm just now doing like the 53rd interview request, including <laughs> you know Fox News. So uh, it will come out. It, truth be told, it will probably come out spring of 2021. Okay. Um, 
But yes, I, I am definitely moving forward with um, a couple of publishers that are saying, hey, oh my gosh, you know, uh, we have to do this. And, and also one of the big points that I'm making is religion and morality are two different things. And mm-hmm. so the left, you know, young Christian kids that they've come up through youth group and they go to college and they're hyper leftist, you know, socialist professors say, well, you know, you have to agree that gender is fluid or you're a hater. And a kid will say, um, well, the Bible says in the beginning God made them male and female. And they're like, well, keep your religion out of this. And the kids are silenced. We have to help people understand that um, truth and the gospel of Jesus, um, just because um, maybe we're not allowed to share the gospel of Jesus, that doesn't mean that we're not allowed to set forth some things that are undeniably true. But Ravi Zacharias, rest his great, brilliant soul. Mm. Ravi Zacharias, he said at one of our conferences, he said, college, listen to this. Ravi said, college has become four years and $100,000 to discover that you can't know anything. Mm. No absolutes, right? No absolutes, yeah. no truth. <laughs> and so, well, Alex, and that, that book is needed and... Um, uh, I'm looking forward to to hearing more about it. But can we get you on again before it comes out? Well, let's do that. Let's do that. And thank you. Sorry for the background noise. And my website is just my name, alexmcfarland.com. And my website is Rev, R-E-V, Rev, Alex McFarland. My Facebook page, that is. Website is alexmcfarland.com. Facebook, Rev, Alex McFarland. We will link both of those up in the podcast notes at standupforthetruth.com. Well, brother, stay strong. I know you will keep fighting the good fight of faith, and let's keep in touch and have you on again in the near future. God bless you, Alex. God bless you, my friend. Thanks. Bye. All right. When we come back, we're going to wrap up with uh, some words uh, from Jan Markell. I've been in email contact with her, and as you know, she's, in, she's at Ground Zero, her words, uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul, with some of the rioting and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and wrap up the show when we come back. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So actor Dean Kane is a police officer. Did you know that? Uh, he was just recently interviewed, and he called out the hypocrisy of Hollywood celebrities who want to defund the police, believe it or not. But they hire former officers, and they're personal security details. He says, Hollywood, thy name is hypocrisy. Uh, celebrities, including John Legend, Jane Fonda, uh, they've signed, Natalie Portman, I think, they signed a letter calling to defund the police, right? Just like Minneapolis, St. Paul is calling for. However, Kane and a lot of us think that that is chaos. That's the wrong answer to today's civil unrest. Um, and the Democrats now, led by Nancy Pelosi, um, they're unveiling a bill targeting police officers after they just kneeled and bowed with their African garb yesterday. I don't know if you saw that headline, but I want to mention something that Jen Markell said. Um, First of all, man, we are caving. I got a text from a friend this morning. He said, it's been interesting to see, to hear several pastors in this area talk about racial inequality in their sermons, but they have never talked about the millions of unborn babies that are being aborted every year or the number of black people killed in our inner cities every weekend, possibly every day. One pastor even led the opening prayer to the Black Lives Matter protest uh, Sunday in this area. Very sad. Um, And we'll keep you updated on that. Understand it's not what you think it is. Because of all the money pouring in and with Antifa, they're out to do destruction. And they have a a globalist mindset, an anti-American foundation. Now to Jan Markell, who emailed me. She's going to be on this podcast in a few weeks again. We've got her scheduled. But she said, uh, pray for us here. She called it Ground Zero in Minneapolis-St. Paul. And she's concerned about safety, as she should be. Because now their council, the city council, I believe, and some of the Democrat representatives, because it's all Democrat-led in uh, Minnesota pretty much, they want to defund and restructure or reorganize the police department. Well, I think you can actually do some good in reforming without dis- destroying the whole thing. So she wrote a, a recent uh, newsletter. I'll just share a part of it. She said, do you have crisis fatigue yet? 
That happens when we get overwhelmed by constant, unrelenting pressures, images, dilemmas, and heartaches. And that describes our state of affairs here in America since early March. And this year is not for the faint-hearted. She says gun shops are selling out. Those in the know, in the know warn of a serious revolution in America that could be coming. Such confusion reigns that in some cities, police officers are, are, officers are bowing down. They're joining the side of the protesters and rioters. Mitt Romney did in, in his city. And uh, you know why he's marching. Obviously, he's a globalist. He's against Trump and whatever else. But mix some strong delusion in there spiritually because there is serious talk of cities that want to dismantle their police departments. Jan lives in Minneapolis-St. Paul. That's one of the places where they are one of the furthest along to making this decision, which who knows how that's going to work. But I think most of us have an idea that when godlessness will reign, but others are cutting police budgets. And, uh, hey, we don't want to see this, friends, but it could very well be parts of America is, are going to re- resemble the Wild West. But Jan says she has she's had an up-close and personal look at mankind at his worst, and she calls it uh, the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, ground zero with all the rioting and looting. I believe there is now, in the Twin Cities, she said, a thousand properties have been vandalized, looted, burned, or totally destroyed, along with apartments above these businesses and homes. Over a thousand properties. You probably won't see it or hear the detail on the news, but anyway, I do have to take our final break here, but I wanted to share so you can pray not only for Jan's health, because she's had some health needs throughout these years, and it's you know not getting better. Pray for her health, but also her ministry there. We've got Christian friends that live in that area, so um, pray for our communities, ministries in some of these liberal strongholds around the country. Pray for your church that we would not shy down, like Alex McFarland shared, we would not shy down from sharing the full gospel and the whole counsel of God and speak, about, speak truth into this chaos into this moral relativism because people need truth now more than ever and they need hope. So let's try to unify as best we can, not around unbiblical efforts, but let's unify with those who want to be about God's business and about the truth and sharing the gospel with a hurting, war-torn, it seems, country. We'll share about uh, the rest of the podcast the rest of this week when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Tomorrow you'll hear from Kathy Barnett. She's got a book, Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, Being Black and Conservative in America. And then on Thursday, Pastor Mike Abendroth joins us again. And boy, we are going to just get his thoughts, a pastor's perspective on so much that's happening and how Christians can better respond to it. And I just want to thank you for tuning in and supporting us. We really appreciate you guys. And God bless you, as always. Keep speaking the truth about things that matter.